DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction, according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leone Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Now, this next piece that I'm going to include brings us to 1924, so it's nine years later, and refers again to this Carmelite priest, American Carmelite Father Albert Dolan, whom we mentioned before. He very quickly became very drawn to Therese, and as I mentioned earlier, created the Society of the Little Flower. Actually, he exposed Therese to millions of people in this country, and he was a key piece in propagating knowledge of her and devotion to her in the United States. And he decides that he's going to actually go to France and meet the sisters of Therese. And this is in 1924. So he goes to the Carmel in Lisieux and with a little bit of finagling is able to actually meet the three sisters, not really see them very well because of the tight grill there. But he has a conversation with them and then resolves that he also wants to meet the remaining sister. And so he makes the journey by car, which he says took three hours in the very poor roads of the time to Caen and arrives in the city with no idea of where the monastery is or how, in any, how he's possibly going to find his way to actually meet Leonie. What happens is that when he's asking people where the monastery is, he happens to ask two priests if they know where it is, and they tell him, actually, we're headed there ourselves. We have business with the Reverend Mother. He asks if he can go with them. They hesitate a bit because that's outside of what their commission is, but uh, he must not have been easy to refuse. They wind up accepting him. And he enters unbidden, as it were, with the two of them when they meet with the prioress. And when they finish their business and have gone, he mentions his, that he would really like to meet Leonie. And she doesn't easily accept this. He says, finally, I actually begged. I told her that I would get down on my knees if necessary in order to speak with Leonie for three minutes. As Therese became more and more known. So this is 1924. She's now been beatified. She's known throughout the world. And there is a a very lively interest in meeting her sisters. The three sisters in the Carmel have to really limit this to a minimum, protect themselves or they'd be overrun by this. Something like this is happening with Leonie as well. So the mother prioress does not easily allow people to speak with Leonie. Well, this priest says to the mother, I'll get down on my knees and beg if I have to for three minutes. At this plea, she began to thaw and said, we are not as stingy as that. If she comes to the parlor, you may talk with her as long as you wish. Just wait and I'll see. And she left the parlor. So the priest later writes up this whole experience. 
And I want to quote this because it's, it's a rare chance for us to see Leonie through an outsider's view. We've been seeing her through others' letters and uh, largely now through her own sister's. But it gives us a chance to, to see her as somebody outside of that circle would have seen her. And she's 61 years old at this point. In a few moments, an elderly sister entered the parlor. It never occurred to me that it might be Leonie. But I inquired her name, and to my great surprise, I found it was Leonie. He comments, We are inclined to think of the little flower's sisters as being of the same age as she was when she died, 24 but they are all older than she, and she has been dead for 29 years. Leonie is 61 years of age now. And here is his physical description of her. She is thin and short and dark, and her face, at least when it is in repose, is not especially attractive or distinguished. In fact, that's that plain appearance that was such a source of suffering to her earlier in her life. In fact, the personal appearance of Leonie would be disappointing were it not for three redeeming features. Bright black eyes full of kindness and amiability, a most attractive and pleasing smile, and a most courteous and charming manner. It was easy to understand why the little flower's father always called Leonie my good Leonie. This was an interesting thing that Celie, her mother, spoke of Leonie as La pauvre Leonie, the uh, poor Leonie, whereas her, her father's uh, name for her was La Bonne Leonie, the good Leonie. And there was kind of the paradox of Leonie in those earlier years. She was, had a heart of gold and was uh, almost uncontrollably difficult at the same time. But it is certainly characteristic of her father and the gentle goodness in him that that's what he would have homed in on uh, when he gave her that title. And what Father Dolan says is, is that meeting her, I can see why he would have given her that name. Bright black eyes, full of kindness and amiability, a most attractive and pleasing smile, and a most courteous and charming manner. And very, I, I think unquestionably, that's the way the sisters with whom she lived would have seen her. Yes, she had her little quirks and eccentricities and her being just so slow to get things done. I don't know if I've mentioned, she was very meticulous. Everything had to be in its proper place. So much so that if a sister doing a task and maybe was called away from it for a moment and left things where she expected to return to them, very often she would come back and they would have been put back in their place. They kind of smiled about it, but it was one of these quirks of hers that they learned to live with, an overly meticulous desire for order like that. I'm not a psychologist and won't try to play one here, but I found myself wondering as I saw this trait in Leonie, whether this wasn't a compensation for the utterly chaotic life that she had lived for so many years with deaths and births and sufferings and unexpected changes and all of that, that she almost seems to need somehow things to be orderly around her. In any case, those quirks were there. She was overly sensitive, too. She could get hurt a little too easily. She had to struggle with that all of her life. But above all, this is what the sisters would have seen in her, the, the, the smile, the amiability, the courteousness, the warmth. She was goodness and kindness itself, and throughout the interview, there was always that willing readiness to do everything she was asked. 
So he explains the work he's doing to promote her sister's uh, devotion to her sister in America. Uh, she's very interested about it, asks questions about it, and is really pleased to hear about it. He shows her a reliquary that's been made. She's very pleased with the design. I asked her if she would autograph the picture, which had already been autographed by her three sisters. She agreed, and I passed the picture to her through the bars of the grill. And when she returned the picture, she gave me with it a little relic of the little flower. Then he asks a couple of questions. These are kind of bold, but it's so nice that he did because we have her answers. Then I said to her, Sister, are you not lonely here sometimes in this convent so far from your other sisters? She answered, No, Father, I am where God wants me to be, and I wouldn't be imitating my little sainted sister if I were to be sad in doing God's will. Of course, all who leave home are a little lonely sometimes. Isn't it true, Father? But it is, it is necessary to smile. Isn't it true? And the little flower helps me smile. Then he pushes it a bit further. But sister, do you not regret sometimes that you did not enter the Carmelite convent instead of the Visitation convent? It seems to me that if I had a sister who had become a saint and who had made a convent famous for its sanctity and had three sisters in that convent, I would regret that in my youth I had not entered that convent. Do you not feel that way? She replies, No, Father, I have no such regrets, because I had no vocation to the Carmelite convent but to the visitation rule. And instead of regrets, I have nothing but gratitude to God for having given me my visitation vocation, which I love. I then said, I suppose, sister, that the little flower bestows many favors upon you, her sister. Kind of bold again. So she answers, yes, she answered, many, many favors. And then with a twinkle in her eye, and here's that little bit of humor again that you get from her, she added by way of a comeback to my doubts about her happiness in the visitation convent, and not the least of the favors she gives me, Father, is to preserve my love for my visitation vocation. That's mm. kind of nice. All this was said with the most charming gentleness and with that ever-present exquisite smile, which gave her some resemblance to the little flower in spite of her advanced age of 61. He asks her to write a message for him, which she does, and then he asks her to send a message to the members of the Little Flower Society in the United States. And uh, without hesitation, she says this, Give them this message, Father. Tell them that if we would please the little flower, we must be as humble as she was, and we will be humble if we will re repeat frequently every day the ejaculation, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. I left the visitation convent with a prayer of thanksgiving in my heart to the little flower for having made it possible for me to talk at length with all four of her sisters. I was delighted when I came across that, you know, that's a, such a, a unique perspective on Leonie, and it says volumes. You know, just compare what we have just seen in this interaction with Leonie as we saw her when she was four, six, eight, ten, twelve, and fourteen years old. And it's just amazing what's mm -hmm. happened in this woman's life. Well, it is, and when you think of this father, I mean, just the time. I mean, it's in 1925. That's a journey. Even back then, you didn't hop on a jet. You had to ride the steamer across the ocean. Then he gets into a car, 
on unpaved roads, I'm sure, and is trying to get somewhere, find things. His, his French, I, it doesn't say, but obviously is going to speak at least with a heavy American accent. And he's seeking, he's on a quest. I and mean, it's a fascinating experience. I would imagine, not only, but then for him, of course, he would ask those bold questions. He came all mm -hmm. this way. Please let me. Mm -hmm. That in itself is the grand sure. adventure, isn't it? Yes, and he also describes his uh, meetings with the other sisters and with her cousin Jean and so on. That would get beyond our story here, but it's all, it's the rare approach to these people through someone who had actually met them, you know, and not just on research. Uh, on them, which is why it's it's really interesting. Well, this next we'll look at takes us to three years later. Leonie is 64 years old at this point. And I want to cite this one just as a witness to the never-ending effort to grow that we see in Leonie. It's one of the beautiful things in her. She never stands still. And this will be up to the very end when she's in her last year, 76, 77. She dies at 78. It's a beautiful thing that she is always looking to grow, and she does. So she uh, writes to um, Pauline, Darling little mama, your letter brought me so much joy. And as for the delightful painting of our saints, so this would probably be done by Celine, who was the artist. It is heavenly. Any work of art dealing with Therese, variably that they sent, she always delighted with. I'm also extremely pleased about the work. A piece is missing here. Many souls in the way of truth, and people are going to understand our Therese's doctrine better. You have asked me for my news, beloved little mama. Spiritually, my soul is becoming increasingly simple. And she recognizes this in herself. Thanks to my Therese. Her holiness is wholly agreeable and is so easily within my reach right close to the heart of what opened up the journey to holiness for her. I can do that. The way Therese presents holiness, that, that I can do. I'm feeling the weight of my years, and I increasingly feel the cold. She suffered from cold all her life. I mentioned right from the very beginning that kind of whooping cough and how she, subject she was to bronchitis and so forth. But not to the extent that, like our darling, darling saint, I could die from it. Which is interesting. She recognizes that a part of what weakened Therese's uh, health was the rigid regime of life in the monastery in Carmel. There was no heat except for the common room. Far from it because the choir and community room are heated. So that's that less austere life in the visitation monastery. By our standards, still pretty austere. <laughs> no heating in her own room and so forth. And for performing the holy duties in the sacristy, which is very cold, our compassionate mother has let me have a nice, warm, black woolen shawl to put around my shoulders. It helps me think of you without a fire, darling little sisters, for then I blush at my cowardice. When this little child is overworked with her duties and putting everything into place on the eve of important feast days, I imagine as a sacristan, she probably did it very well. Everything would be exactly where it needed to be. She stumbles weakly the next morning, even after having eaten a good breakfast. Yet I'm very glad to be giving my last remaining strength to Jesus the host, my daily bread. He is all my strength. I send you my kisses 
and I already love you with the love of heaven. We move now to six years later, and this is 1930. And at this point, so at age 67, an epidemic of the flu passes through the area and the monastery. Leonie, who is very susceptible to this, undergoes a very severe form of it with congestion in both lungs to the point in which they really don't expect her to survive. Really, it's touch and go as to whether she'll live through this. And the mother prioress lets the bishop know. Bishop Suhard, who later became the Archbishop of Paris and Cardinal, but at this point is bishop of this area in which both monasteries are found, actually. And so the Cardinal responds to the Mother Prioress. The Mother Superior of the Visitation has already updated me with the distressing news and told me how edifying Sister Francoise Therese is proving to the community. I wholeheartedly unite myself with the beautiful soul who made such a strong impression on me when I made my canonical visitation. So here is another exterior witness. So as the bishop, um, he would make, I don't know whether annually or periodically at least, a a visitation to the monastery. And on that event, met uh, Leonie and certainly would have spoken with her. Of course, everybody was interested in her as the sister of a saint. She can only rise in glory through suffering. She is so close in her way of thinking to her little sister. So he has spoken with her, and he uh, notices the similarity in the way she thinks, very much modeled on her sister and learned from her sister. She is so close in her way of thinking to her little sister that this intimacy can only result in great holiness. Let us be closely united in prayer, dear mother, and take advantage of the fine example she is setting for us and become more and more united to God. And then the following day, so he has now actually gone to the monastery and visited her. I have just returned from Caen, where I gave my blessing to Sister Francoise Therese. She is an angel from paradise. The sickness has not worsened. Quite the reverse, in fact, is true. But the danger has not been eliminated. The dear sister is truly in God's hands. And after the short conversation I had with her, I left feeling wholly edified. She is like a reflection of heaven, and he has two exclamation points. It is a good atmosphere in which to live. You'll often find that line quoted in the various biographies. I bless you, dear Mother Prioress, and pray that God may impart to you and to your dear daughters the abundance of his gifts. And now, a few weeks later, Leonie has recovered from the illness. So this is at the end of December. And this is her first letter to her three sisters. Her sisters have been kept abreast of this. Of course, they're deeply anxious for her. They're sending her letters. They're praying at the Carmel for her. And this is her first chance now to write back to them. Beloved little sisters, I fully understand your impatience to have a little note for me. And I am no less impatient to write you one. So here I am with my heart overflowing with affection and gratitude to you for all the love and blessings with which you unceasingly lavish me. Your generosity moves me to tears, but the tears are very sweet and fragrant with heavenly joy. And so I wish you a very happy, holy, and blessed new year. Sometimes as I was reading through her letters, I would just stop and underline the vocabulary. 
and look at it here. This is just, how many sentences is this? This is just two sentences, the first beginning of her letter. Heart, overflowing, affection, gratitude, love, blessings, lavish, generosity, very sweet tears, fragrant with heavenly joy, happy, holy, blessed. And all of her letters are this way. The vocabulary is always warm and affectionate and positive and appreciative and grateful. What uh, Father Dolan remarks, you know, when he shares his encounter with her, the warmth and the goodness and the smile and the affection, to judge by her writing uh, must have been just her way of living. Whatever her interior struggles were, and they were there as we've seen, and throughout her life, it seems that this is the way others would have seen her. This is what they would have come away from her seeing. And again, the distance from what we've seen in her early years is just astounding and an enormous sense of hope. Who of us cannot hope to grow if this woman was transformed in this way? And it continues, what a flood of graces and affection I have received once again from my beloved community. Our dear mother is sparing nothing to help me get back on my feet again. She's always so grateful for the nursing that she gets. I am being infinitely better nursed than a queen. My sister nurse even goes so far as to prepare my meals herself, and I can assure you she is very good at it. She's a real gourmet cook. And then for her sister nurse, if you have some rose bushes left over, so these would be roses from the Carmel in Lisieux, so the link with Therese, that she could plant in her little flower beds outside the infirmary, she would be very pleased. She highly deserves a reward for her tireless and almost motherly devotion. And then this next line is poignant. I didn't think I was loved so dearly. She always marvels to, to see that people love her in this way. She just doesn't expect it, almost doesn't know that it's there. And when it's shown to her so clearly that she can't miss it, she marvels at it. There's something very beautiful about that, too, you know, that must have made people want to assist her. It was touching to see our sisters despair, for they trembled at the thought of losing me. As for the bishop, so this is Bishop Suhard, who actually a few days after he wrote those letters was transferred to another diocese. As for the bishop, it's such a blow to lose him. But I say fiat because in this exile, everything is in perpetual motion. God alone is unchanging. He, the prisoner of love, that's her reference to the Eucharist, which is the center of everything for her. He, the prisoner of love, is enough for us. I will write again soon. I love you with all my heart, Sister Francoise Therese. Now, I'm going to quote from a letter that she wrote three days later, and just a part of it, because it gives an insight into what this lifelong eczema that she um, suffered from, what it could be like. In the course of going through this um, very serious illness, medical remedies were applied. By our standards today, you, 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 you cringe whenever you hear of the kinds of medical remedies. Uh, Therese suffered terribly from them, and they never did her a bit of good. Amongst other things, they are applying to Leonie these mustard poultices. Now, to someone whose skin is already liable to eczema, you can imagine what this is going to do. I'm taking, beloved little sisters, I'm taking advantage of every opportunity I have to give you news of my health, which is improving every day. However, there's a flip side to the coin. 
My eczema is doing more than raising its head. It has broken free of its shell. It's furious about the brutal treatment I had to undergo in order to avoid going ad patrum, that is, to the fatherland, uh, in other words, dying. My skin is erupting and is so itchy that I feel I'm wearing a hair shirt from head to toe, especially at night when the itching prevents me from getting a wink of sleep. If I happen to scratch even a little, it really burns. So that's what she's experiencing. And now this is how she tries to bear it uh, with, out of a spiritual reflection. I think it would be worse if I were in purgatory. All right. If you were in purgatory, it'd be worse than this. What's more, I'm offering up my suffering for Action Francaise to stop revolting. So this was a lay movement in France at the time. And uh, it had just been disciplined by the Holy Father. And there was a lot of rebellion against it. So this was a big issue in the church in France at the time. So she's offering up this suffering for that revolt to end. And for all the great causes that are close to the heart of our pontiff and beloved father, I'm also suffering for our dearest bishop's intentions, as once again, he is of all people most to be pitied. I'm not sure why, perhaps because he has to leave the area and go to a different place. But this is another quality in Leonie that, she imbibed from her father and mother, and that is a great reverence and veneration and love for the Holy Father, for the bishops, and for priests. And you see this um, throughout all of her writing, all of her letters. In short, all of these ministerial desires are helping me to suffer generously. So she has a spiritual motivation for bearing what has to be very, very painful. I'm being given the best treatment possible while waiting to be able to take a few brand baths I can't at the moment because I'm still too weak, which is just an insight then into something that she would carry really all of her life. You've been listening to A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this episode, Along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for A Sister of St. Therese Servant of God Leonie Martin Bearer of Hope with Father Timothy Gallagher